Welcome to This Good Word. My name is Steve Weens, your host, as always. Before I get started on the topic of today, I want to send some love out to all of you on the West Coast who are suffering through these horrendous wildfires up in Oregon, Washington, California. The air quality is terrible. Maybe you've had to evacuate. Maybe you are huddled inside your house with your kids or yourself and your pets, your roommates, and you're scared. Uh, I'm sending you love and hope and grace and strength and peace and everything I can think of to send to you as you make it make your way through this. Um, really, really hoping for some containment, for some rain, and for some change. So there's that. And then what I want to talk about today is this idea of unity and disagreement. And I want to talk about it specifically as it relates to the church. Now, I know that's not everybody out there. I know that many of you, or at least some of you, don't consider yourself church people, churchgoers, and that is 100% fine and great. Uh, as you all know, I myself am a conflicted <laughs> churchgoer and pastor. <laughs> I love the church, meaning I love um, the way that people are trying to love one another in the ways of Jesus. And I also want to recognize how incredibly hard it can be to live at peace and unity with each other when there's simply so much to disagree about. So I want to ask the question, what do we do with those disagreements? What do we do when we feel like we do not understand the other person as it relates to even politics, who they vote for? How could they possibly vote for that candidate, whether it be Trump or Biden? Uh, how can they possibly hold that belief? Maybe it's being LGBTQIA affirming or non-affirming. Uh, maybe it's around race and social justice. There are so many topics of conversation these days that we seem to fall into the quicksand of defending our point and not listening to another person. And even when we try to listen to the other person, it seems like we can get so stuck in misunderstanding or we can get so easily triggered by what the other person is saying based on things that we've heard in the past, based on our own level of fear, anxiety, or hopelessness, that it's really, really difficult. And so I'm primarily talking to people in this episode who are trying. I'm really not talking to people who, on either side or any side, who are just interested in digging in your heels and staying in your echo chamber and just banging your gong of self-absorbed truth. Uh, my guess is you don't listen to this podcast anyway, but also my guess is that's part of all of us, even if we don't think it is. But I want to I want to say, though, out loud, I am primarily talking to those of you who are making an effort to listen, to understand to stay engaged in tough conversations even when they feel like they're not going anywhere. This is for people who believe that peace is not ignoring conflict or just pretending that we can just all get along. It's not 
it's not peace is not saying that we will end up agreeing. Peace is not saying that it doesn't really matter. Let's just, you know, focus on bigger things. These small things don't matter. These things that we find ourselves passionately arguing about really do matter. Uh, LGBTQIA inclusion matters. Uh, the conversation matters uh, on all sides. Uh, racial inequality in that conversation matters. Uh, the politics and where we're at, if you are in the United States of America anyway, in terms of uh, the upcoming election in November, these conversations matter because they affect our real lives. And so when we're talking about uh, peace or peacemaking, we are really not talking about ignoring reality. Okay, I want to say that out loud. So the way we're going to dive into this topic, though, is by, this is going to be kind of a sermon. <laughs> I hope you're up for that. I'm going to read a passage that uh, the many people, I think, have heard of the Apostle Paul. He was one of the people who started most of the New Testament churches. Uh, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, or at least most uh, epistles and are authored by him. He wrote a book called Romans, and I'm going to read about 13 verses from that book. Romans is written to the church after Jesus the Christ has died and risen again, and after uh, the church has become a major mix and melting pot of many dif different ethnicities, men, of course, women and children, and especially Jewish believers and Gentile believers who have radically different thoughts on how to worship and what to focus on. And in this passage I'm going to read to you, it's really fascinating where Paul goes, because Paul is going to name some differences of opinion on some pretty big things, but the conclusion he's going to draw is, is I find, so relevant for today. He doesn't come on one side, come down on one side or another on any given issue. Instead, he seems to make room that there is room to disagree in the church on big matters. As long as you don't dig in your trenches and, in his words, judge the person who doesn't think like you do or despise the person who doesn't think like you do. So let me read this to you and then... I have some thoughts to share, just some basic observations. And then I have four practices that I'd like to share with you that I'm trying at least over the next 50 or 60 days as we move into the election uh, happening and the aftermath, four practices that are going to help you engage in good, healthy, passionate, but respectful disagreement with others. So that's where we're going. So let me read Romans 14, verses 1 through 13. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some people believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Now, the word weak there does not mean weak physically. It also doesn't mean weak in their faith. It simply means those who are at a different faith stage than maybe you are. It isn't, he's not, as it's going to become clear later, he's not saying those who eat meat are stronger in their faith than those who don't. 
even though it sounds like he does. Those who eat meat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them all. (laughs) Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. That's fascinating. Some judge one day to be better. Now we're going to talk about high holy days. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Well, let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, talking about a holy day here, observe it in honor of the Lord. And those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. So he's basically saying, listen, if you feel convinced that you, you, you are free to eat meat uh, or any other matter of dietary restrictions, which remember there was a ton of in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, then um, feel free. Feel free to live that out. Do it robustly in honor of the Lord. And if you feel like your convictions lead you to abstain, you go ahead and abstain. Do it all unto in honor of the Lord. That's so great. And then verse seven, we don't, this is some obscure uh, verses, which I'll, I'm going to explain at the end, but we do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ, Jesus the Christ, died and lived again so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Again, I'm going to address that toward the end, just a few minutes. So he's going to wrap it up. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister or sibling? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister or sibling? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. Okay. So let's go there. Uh, you would expect the, I think, most of us, based on if you have a church upbringing, uh, background, you would expect there to be some clear distinctions. This is right. This is wrong. Now that Christ has died and risen again, you might expect to hear that we are free to eat anything. And so don't abstain. You might expect to hear that. I think it's really refreshing to hear that at the very beginning of the early church, there was a recognition of differences of theological opinion on certain matters that were very important, and they were based on um, not just people who, uh, I don't care, but people who are thoughtful and um, really intentional about their convictions theologically and spiritually, that Paul comes down and from the very beginning says that there can be differences, differences are healthy, and the point is not to fight over who's right and who's wrong. The point is not to demand that the other person be wrong in order for you to be right. The point seems to be the first word of the entire passage which is welcome. Regardless, Paul seems to be saying, of your theological convictions, opinions, the work is to welcome each other 
because God has welcomed you. And that beautiful part of, you know, people are going to stand and fall based on the Lord. And that sounds super threatening. But then Paul writes, but they will all stand for God will uphold them. I mean, I just find that so fascinating because in today's dualistic binary world, we seem to want to knock down the person that does not agree with us. Uh, We seem to want to be quick to misunderstand, be quick to knock someone down as many pegs as possible in order to prove your own point that you are somehow better, more right, more um, that you belong around the table or that you belong in a more prestigious place at the table. And sociologically, this is scapegoating. Sociologically, people need to scapegoat someone and to create a person to blame in order for the rest of us to feel like we belong. And that sounds so weird, but we have seen it happen over and over and over again. There seems to be in when people are at the society level and you have a socialized mind and what the group thinks is what you think, we seem to always need, in order to survive, we need to blame and scapegoat someone from within our own group in order to feel like we are still a part of the group. Can I get an amen on that? We've seen that over and over and over again, especially in the Christian community. And I'm going to be real pointed here. I have seen this. When a public figure like Jen Hatmaker or Rob Bell or any number of people change their mind theologically uh, from what the dominant uh, evangelical Christian culture believes, we have seen that they get thrown out. They get scapegoated. Their death threats come (laughs) Uh, and they move from being the darlings of the movement, the people that everyone looked to, to being complete outcasts simply because they changed their mind on something. Now, it seems to me that Paul would say, do not despise the person who disagrees with you. Now, notice he's not saying uh, everyone should you know, believe the same thing. Like everyone should believe what Rob Bell or Jen Hatmaker or whoever believes. He's not saying that, but he is saying, let those of you who, for example, in the church are LGBTQIA affirming, do not despise those who aren't. And those who aren't do not judge those who are. Now, I'm speaking about a very sensitive topic, I know, and it's very difficult. So I'm not saying lay down your beliefs. I'm not saying lay down your convictions. What I am saying is what is I'm echoing what the, the, the writer of the New Testament is saying. We need to learn to welcome each other. In the first century, it was about which high holy days to celebrate. And apparently there were some people that say, no, man, the Sabbath, that's the important day. We have to keep that holy. And listen, that was a time-honored tradition for time out of mind for the Jewish faith. Still is. Uh, 
Other people are saying, no, every day is the Sabbath. I mean, this is a, a core, important, huge thing. This is not a small matter. And Paul seems to be saying, live and welcome with welcome one another and live in unity even if you practice differently. Don't look down on someone who doesn't practice the Sabbath. Don't look down on someone who does practice the Sabbath, right? And there's two forms. So when, uh, let's say you have expanded in your faith, and let's say it's something that you used to practice, you now no longer feel the need to practice. You've, you've expanded, you've grown, and that's great. It's like you, you've, you've graduated from that. Yay! The tendency is to look back at those who still practice that with disdain. That's the tendency. Oh, those pathetic losers. Oh, those people that haven't understood yet. Oh, those people who aren't there yet. I've done this, you guys. I have done this. It's self-righteousness. It's what I call the propensity for progressive people, especially to be self-righteously indignant. (laughs) And it's really not healthy. Now, on the other side, there can be people who maybe stay rooted in a practice or a belief, and they're, they really have not changed their minds. And instead of being at peace with the people who have, they look at those people, and instead of disdain, there is disdain, there's also fear. There's fear that that's a slippery slope, that if you make that decision, what what is the end point? Are you ever, are, are you going to just change your mind on everything? Um, and so there's a fear associated with that. And it seems to me that Paul is saying, learn to welcome one another. Because again, at the end of the day, it is not based on each other that you will stand or fall. It's based on you and God. And then remember what Paul says, God is able to uphold them all. So I take that to mean we're going to be wrong about a lot of things, you guys. We're going to be wrong about a lot of things. At the end of the day, more things we're going to be wrong about than we, I mean, than we believe. But somehow, because of the grace, mercy, love of God, God will allow us to stand. Oh, I think that's so good. So if you are willing to try to welcome the other, if you're willing to try to listen and learn and live at peace with one another while you hold your conviction and while you're passionate about it. I would like to invite you to consider practicing these four practices. So number one, be curious about why the other person holds that particular opinion or belief. Be curious about why they hold that opinion or belief that's different than you. Ask about their background. Ask about what kinds of values undergird that particular belief. Ask what fears they might have about changing that opinion. Ask what relationships in their life have informed that particular opinion or belief. This is so, curiosity says, um, I'm not gonna judge your opinion or belief. I'm gonna get to know why you have that opinion or belief. And it's helpful for the person or for you 
to actually need to articulate it. And it's hard to find the words to, so it may take time. You may get some, I don't know. I don't know why I believe it. I just do. But if a person is sincere uh, in wanting to explore this topic with you, then I think they'll give it some time and they'll get curious about why, why they hold that opinion or belief. And that will lead to good things. Secondly, second practice, be aware, this is really important, be aware of your own propensity to misunderstand what the other person is saying. Be aware of your own propensity to misunderstand what the other person is saying. I think there are so many times we get into fights and we say, well, you said this. And then someone else says, no, I didn't. And then you say, yes, I heard you say that. Like, that's what you said. And we get caught in semantics versus understanding that even if they said a certain thing, it's very possible that because of your triggers, your fear, your anxiety, your background, the ways that you've changed, you can hear someone say one thing and you can unconsciously translate it to having them saying something else. Let me give you, give you an example about, this happened to me. Uh, on Twitter, I posted this um what I thought was just um, a, a quote about just an authentic quote. And I posted, um, you know, pandemic pastoral confessions. That's what I hashtagged it. And I said, in this time of pandemic, when people say to me, quote, this is a great time for the church to rethink how we do everything, end quote, I want to throw up in my mouth a little bit and I want to take a three month nap. Now, Lots and lots of pastors responded to it. Amen. Thanks for being real. That's how I feel too. And I know that because I've talked to a lot of pastors and these pastors love their congregations. These pastors are trying their best, but man, it's really hard to conduct like a months long online relationship with people. It's really difficult. And there's lots of reasons for that. And so most pastors I talk to are exhausted and they're trying their best and they're hanging in there but it's really, really hard. And that's what I wanted to just kind of reflect. My, my heart was to um, reach out to pastors and say, hey, I'm in it with you. If you're tired, whoo, so am I. And yes, we all are always thinking about how things need to change and grow, but there's a way in which right now, just moving to how everything needs to change, I don't think is the most helpful question right now. It's where it's, it's going to come. And I think the church is changing radically, but that it may not be the right moment to throw out the baby, the bathwater and everything. Anyway, many people responded encouragingly, likes, retweets, blah, blah, blah. And then a couple of people, one person in particular just shamed me, just said, I can't believe you said that. I hope the people in your church leave your church and go find the true shepherd. Uh, your people make you sick. Well, you need to do something else, something like that. And and then when I reread my my tweet, so this person believed that I was like like sort of subtweeting my own congregation <laughs> that I was taking to Twitter to um, you know complain about how everyone in my congregation is saying this or saying that. And okay, oh man, I mean, I could totally see where, yeah, you might misunderstand that. That really isn't what I meant, though. That's not what I meant at all. In fact, my congregation, no one's saying that. 
I, I really do truly and honestly love my congregation. I mean, they're amazing people and are doing amazing work. And so I understand how that can be a confusing tweet. The problem for me was that there was, in this one person, there was zero desire to, to understand what I was trying to say. A couple other people said, whoa, I need a little context here because I think this is a good time for change. Can you help me understand why you said that? That's perfect. That's being curious. That's also being aware of your own propensity to misunderstand. But when you just fire back on social media, especially, uh, you need to be very aware of your own propensity to, that you have radically misunderstood what the other person was trying to say. <laughs> we all do this. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, be intentional about sharing your own perspectives and beliefs rather than only talking about what the group thinks or hypothetical ideas and really try not to speak for an entire group of people. What I mean by that is this, when you're talking especially about politics, Trump, Biden, Republicans, progressives, and all of that, it's it's easy to start to, to slip into uh, that you're now representing a group of people. Uh, you're representing conservatives, you're representing progressives, you're representing um, people of color, you're representing, and the thing is, to have really good, healthy, passionate dialogue that leads to personal reflection and growth as well as mutual reflection and growth. I think it's important to use statements about personal convictions and about personal experiences and about what you believe. It's very hard to have a good, productive conversation when you're essentially acting like you're the lawyer of a group of people and you're... Uh, you're on the defense. Instead, talk about, in my experience with talking with this other person or in my experience with interacting with protests or uh, social justice or um, the economy or my own finances or my own community, this is what I'm finding and this is what I'm curious about, right? Um so this is so important. Uh, one of my friends, white, lives uh, in a community of color and just took some time to go down to an outdoor kind of town hall meeting because there was a lot of violence in this community. And the community showed up and they were talking to each other and there was passionate back and forth dialogue. And my friend said that was one of the most hopeful things that she experienced because it was local. It was people going back and forth about their own community and what they needed to do as a community to um, create more safer streets. Now, that's very different than um, having uh, dialogue about police violence in general, for example. I'm not saying that's not important. It is. Oh my gosh, it is. So important. But if we want to have good, healthy, productive dialogue, I think be intentional about sharing your own perspectives uh, and beliefs and how you're diving into the issues yourself, what you're learning, what you're experiencing. 
Um, as it relates to protest, I went on a clergy march right after George Floyd was murdered, led by black clergy, and it was so powerful uh, to listen to black clergy praying and um, speaking and marching uh, and to be able to be in that environment with them, uh, peacefully protesting, uh, gave me a picture of what real protest can be, that it can be peaceful, that it can be productive, that it can lead to unity, that it can. Now that's very different than having a big argument about what protesting is or is, isn't if you haven't experienced it yourself. So that's number three. Number four, and this is really important to be willing to kindly walk away from those who are committed to misunderstanding you. Be willing to kindly walk away from those who are committed to misunderstanding you. Uh, this is tough because you don't want to just take your ball and run. But we've all been in situations, especially on social media, where we're trying to interact. We're not doing it perfectly. We get defensive. We get triggered. But there's a sense that like you are not uh, the person that you're trying to engage with is just not being curious. They're not being aware of their own propensity to misunderstand what you're saying. They simply want to pound the drum. And I don't know why I do that when I do that. Cause I do that. Um, it's mostly because I'm afraid. I think I'm being threatened. Something about my well-being is being threatened. But what I want to say is it's really okay to walk away, to kindly walk away. Just be done with the conversation. It's also okay when you get that way, and you will, and I will, for other people to kindly walk away from you if you're committed to misunderstanding someone. Uh, we cannot have these kinds of tricky, passionate, good, healthy, welcoming conversations with everybody. We just can't. Um, I had a great conversation with another pastor who lives across the country who invited me into a one-on-one -on -one conversation about a theological matter that we differ on. And it was so wonderful. She said, I don't want to change your mind. I don't want to debate you. I really am trying to understand. So we talked for about 90 minutes. She asked me tons of questions. She was very curious. She was aware of her own propensity to misunderstand me. She asked me clarifying questions. I asked her clarifying questions. And we ended being on different sides of the issue, but being, we really welcomed each other. Or at least I think we did. I hope we did. I hope I was that, I was welcoming as well. This can happen, friends. I mean, again, that happened uh, to me. In, in that very conversation. I felt uplifted and we did not agree. We did not agree. So it really can happen. Okay, last thing. Uh, I wanna go back to that Romans 14, seven. Well, actually before I do that, so can we, for those of you who are committed to welcoming those who disagree with you with passionate engagement, again, these four practice, be curious about why the other person holds that particular opinion or belief. Can you, can you commit to that? Ask questions. Uh, suspend judgment. Number two, be aware of your own propensity to misunderstand what they're saying. Ask clarifying questions. Say things like, now when you said that, here's what I think I heard. Is that what you meant? 
Number three, be intentional about sharing your own perspectives and beliefs rather than just speaking for an entire group of people or being their defense lawyer. (laughs) And then four, be willing to kindly walk away from those who are committed to misunderstanding you and understand that some people are going to kindly walk away from you um, for a number of reasons. Can we commit to that? I think we would learn so much. We would be expanded during this season. Ugh, let's do it. Okay, last thought. Romans 14, 7, this thing that I read a few minutes ago that seems so weird. We do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Oh my gosh, what does that mean? Dead, alive, alive to ourselves. What does that mean? I don't know what it means, but I wonder if what that essentially means is, you know, the Paschal mystery, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. There is an essential way that the universe functions. And we see this in the seasons, um, that the leaves fall and winter comes and spring comes. There's continual death and resurrection in the very fabric of the universe. There's death and resurrection. There's death and resurrection. Certain things that you believe die. Then a new belief gets resurrected. Relationships die and sometimes they get resurrected. Um, to, to, To learn to welcome those who disagree with one another is to enter into the Paschal mystery that the way the universe works is there just as death and resurrection. That's the greater and bigger story, that all things die and all things are made new, including your opinions, your ego classifications, the ways that's so important for you to say, I'm this or I'm that. Those are what Richard Rohr would call small boundaries, small ego classifications that are important for a time. But eventually, if we want to grow into spiritual growth, we need to learn to let those go. Let those die. Follow the pattern of the universe. Follow the Christ pattern of death and resurrection and learn, as Richard Rohr would say, instead to stand instead of standing apart from others with your small boundaries and ego classifications. I'm conservative. I'm liberal. I'm uh, this. I'm that. We learn to sit around a table and belong to one another people that don't agree with us. There's something so transcendent about letting ego classifications die and being resurrected into a community of people that is ever growing. And you're not united by what you believe. You're united by the pattern, the Christ pattern of death and resurrection. Happens to all of us. No one gets to escape death. The death rate's still hovering right around 100%. And that is physical death. Our bodies die. Uh, Opinions die. Relationships die. But if we enter into the Christ pattern, something is resurrected and something is being made new. So friends, may we learn to welcome each other in our disagreement. May we learn to engage with each other on important topics. May we learn to hold deep convictions gently. May we be open to changing our minds. May we be open to welcoming someone who 
disagrees with you on a big topic. May we not allow ourselves to destroy each other with vicious quarrels and fighting and getting so triggered that we use our words to damage and judge and despise. That is destructive to you and to the other person. Let's resist that. Now, some of you may need to get off social media for a while just in order to do that because you're just so triggered. Okay. Some of you may need to only check in with the news once a day. Okay. Some of you may need to set up a conversation with someone that you know you disagree with and set the ground rules, those four practices. Hey, can we agree on this before we talk? Some of you may need to just take a break because you've been doing that too much and you need to rest from it. You need to like sleep and stop constantly engaging. There's rhythms to this. You can't be on high alert at all times. So uh, let's do this together, gang. I think we can do it. I hope this was helpful. These are, these are things that I'm trying and uh, my little community is trying. This is basically a sermon that I gave to our church last week. <laughs> and I just gave um, a redux to you with a little longer and a little more, <laughs> a little more editorial. <laughs> okay, guys, grace and peace. Uh, go with go with God, and go with each other into the future. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to this good word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.